Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Good morning. We are so glad that you're here at uh, Lighthouse this morning. People listening uh, online, people in the house. We have lots of visitors here, uh, new faces coming in, probably related to the baptisms. And we want to make sure everyone here uh, feels very welcome. We're glad you're part of the Lighthouse family this morning. As the sign said, my name is Larry Sewell. I'm one of the elders here this morning, and I'll be with you for about 35 minutes. I want to start today, before we actually get into uh, the teaching, uh, to give you just a couple quick announcements related to County Road 99. Uh, I've already been asked, I think, by three people this morning, what did the trustees of the Lasco Foundation say? And uh, this is what they said. They said, we are not going to get a grant. So you always start with the bad news first, okay? That was something we were looking forward to, we were praying about, uh, but it's not going to happen for us. Now, that doesn't change the fact that we're moving forward with the building, okay? We're still on track, we're still moving forward, uh, but we wanted to share that news with you this morning. The other thing I wanted to share uh, was the good news. Uh, We met with Klaus Construction this past week, and uh, everything is set to go uh, to start pushing dirt as as soon as the uh, weather will allow this spring. Uh, I drove by Friday afternoon, and they parked on the site this past week, the largest backhoe I have ever seen in my life. This thing is just enormous, but we have a sewer connection that's more than 20 feet deep, and they got to be able to dig all the way down there and get to that thing, and so they brought that piece of equipment out to to do the excavation. That actually will happen before they start pushing dirt to do the site prep. So we're on track. We're still moving. There's some bad news, and I guarantee you that through the course of this construction project, there will be other bad news. That's the nature of a construction project, but we are hopeful We are thankful, we are grateful uh, for the congregation here at Lighthouse, but also uh, the friends of Lighthouse, people that have been praying for this, and then also people that have been giving so uh, generously from a financial standpoint. So we have a lot to rejoice in, and uh, so we're going to keep moving together. Now, I remember back... Uh, several years ago when I was working for a company that I did a lot of traveling overseas. And one of the places I would travel was to China. And um, I remember one time we were in this kind of a rural place and there were only four gates in the airport and they had this upstairs loft with a glass wall and I'd gone up there to get a cup of coffee and as I was looking down over the entire airport you could see the the doors that uh, you came in and uh, I noticed military police showing up. And a bunch of officers came out. And all those officers made a straight line, beeline, right up to the upstairs where I was. Everybody started to disappear, and these military officers surrounded me. I had absolutely no idea what had happened or why they were pointing, you know, picking me out to surround me. Now, Uh, Finally, the person in charge, a woman, came right up to me. She tried to get into my face, but she was only about that tall, so she she couldn't do that. And she she demanded my passport. Now, if you travel internationally, one of the rules of international travel is you never, ever give up your passport, right? And so she grabbed my passport out of my hand. And she's looking at the picture of the passport, and then she's looking at me, and then she's looking at her papers, and she does it again and again and again. And then finally... She looks at me, and in her very best English, 
She says, have a nice day. <laughs> she gives me my passport, and all the military officers file down the stairs, two lines, they go out, they get in their vehicles, and they leave. To this day, I have absolutely no idea what happened that day. What I think happened was this. I think it was simply this. They were looking for a particular tall white guy with glasses, and they thought I was him. I think it was just a, a, a case of mistaken identity. They thought I was somebody different than who I am, and everything was fine at the end of that day. Our identity as Christians is central to who we are. It is completely central. We're in the second week of this series about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and today we're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about uh, the resurrection of Jesus uh, authenticating the identity of Jesus, and then we're going to spill over to talk about how the identity of Jesus affects our identity as children of God. As we start this morning, I'd like to pray together. Let's pray. God in heaven, we understand that the Holy Spirit is the revealer, the one that opens our hearts, the one that opens our minds, the one that gives us understanding, that brings uh, truth into a place where we can see it and, and, uh, and touch it and understand it and, and believe. And so we pray for that. We pray right now in this place, uh, in, a, in a just a remarkable way, that your spirit would have the freedom to communicate from the Word of God directly to us, that we would, we would hear your voice from the pages of Scripture, from the verses that we talk about, that you would open our hearts to understanding and to, and to belief. We pray this through Jesus. Amen. Now, today we have three parts to the uh, teaching. First, we're going to talk about the identity of Jesus directly from the Bible the identity of Jesus. Then we're going to talk about what the Apostle Paul said to the Roman church about the identity of Jesus. And then finally, some implications about the identity of Jesus as it, as it has to do with our identity as followers of Jesus. Now, God has chosen to reveal himself in the pages of the Scripture. Now, when you read the Bible, it's not like reading a history book or like reading a psychology book or something like that. Instead, the Bible is the actual Word of God, and it is empowered by the Holy Spirit when we read it. So the Bible is a different kind of book than any other kind of book that you'll ever read. Now, lots of folks reject the Bible based on the opinions of other people without ever having read the Bible itself. That's kind of weird to me, okay, to reject something that you've never looked at or have any interest or, or experience with. Now, the first four books of the New Testament are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call those the Gospels. And these are eyewitness accounts of the life and words of Jesus himself. I think the most appropriate place to start in your journey with understanding God is right there in the Gospels. The Gospels are a very welcoming place uh, to hear the voice of God. So today I want to start by giving some examples from the Gospels about some of the things that Jesus did during his time on earth. For instance, Jesus gave sight to blind people. Now imagine that for a minute. Get yourself inside the story. 
Imagine somebody you know, maybe a neighbor or a friend or a family member, somebody who has been blind for their entire life. They've learned to navigate this world without sight. And then Jesus comes and he heals that person and they can see. What do you think it would do to you if you saw that kind of miracle? A person who had been born blind, person you knew, and then all of a sudden now Jesus has done this miracle and this person can see. They can continue the rest of their life with vision. You know, Jesus did this kind of thing on the regular when he was on this earth. He healed uh, people who couldn't speak, people who couldn't walk, people who couldn't, uh, couldn't hear, all these different things that Jesus healed. Now, if you saw a miracle like that, do you think you would dismiss that as a medical anomaly? Or do you think you'd believe that Jesus is who Jesus said he was? You have to think about that question just a minute. The Bible talks about Jesus claiming or calming raging storms and, and actually walking on water. The Bible talks about him casting out evil spirits. He talks about him raising dead people back to human life. The pattern of miracles that we see in the Bible, in the Gospels, is everywhere. You read these remarkable accounts of the things that Jesus did. The interesting thing about these miracles of Jesus, however, is this. Sometimes the miracles convinced people that Jesus was in fact who Jesus said he was. But other times, people rejected the miracle because they rejected the things that Jesus said. So they just blew up the miracle, pushed it aside because they didn't want to believe what Jesus was saying. Now, these are some of the things that that Jesus actually said. He said this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one, no one gets to God, no one gets to the Father except through me. Jesus said that. Lots of people push back because it's a very exclusive statement. They want to believe that there's lots of ways to God instead of one way. But imagine if you were in this conversation with Jesus. You're talking to Jesus and he says to you, your sins are forgiven. Or to the thief on the cross, he said this, today you will be with me in paradise. Those are things that Jesus said. If you heard those words directly from the mouth of Jesus, would it cause you to believe? Or would it cause you to doubt? Jesus said this, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. It was a statement that he was claiming to be God. These are just a few things that Jesus did, a few things that Jesus said. But the most remarkable prophecy that Jesus made in the entire time he was on the earth is this. He said this in Matthew chapter 27. I think the verse will be up on the screen. The Son of Man, and that's a name that Jesus used to refer to himself. Okay? The Son of Man is going to betrayed, be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed And on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. 
He made that prophecy concerning himself. Now, the Bible says that the disciples of Jesus, the 12, they would talk about this right behind Jesus' back, and they were wondering what he could mean by this idea of being raised from the dead. They heard what he said. They were having a discussion, a debate about what it could mean. And I would tell you this, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, there would be no reason to continue believing, and there would be no reason to continue talking about Jesus, because it'd be over if he didn't raise from the dead. But instead, what we see happening in the Bible is scores and scores and scores of people believe in Jesus based on their eyewitness testimonies of what happened to Jesus, that he in fact rose from the dead. I love the clear gospel accounts of the resurrection. We'll probably read a number of these over the next six weeks, right? But listen to what the angel says is recorded by Matthew in one of the gospels. Then the angel spoke to the woman. Do not be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here. He has risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see the place where his body was lying. And now go quickly, tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. He is going ahead of you into Galilee, and you will see him there. Now, if you had heard the women who were there listening to the angel tell you that Jesus is going to be in Galilee, go to Galilee to see the risen Jesus. My question is this, would you have gone? Would you have gone to see whether or not Jesus had actually risen from the dead? It seems pretty clear to me. Jesus could do miracles. He said things that, that other people just don't say about himself, remarkable things. But even the worst skeptic would have to pause for a moment when they saw the miracles, right? People who are blind, people that could see. Jesus said things that ordinary people don't say, right? But in the end, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, Christianity is over. The resurrection of Jesus is central to our faith. It is central to the identity of who he is. I want to look to Romans chapter 1 for the first four verses there and talk a little bit about what the Apostle Paul said about the resurrection of Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul was not one of the 12 disciples. He came later, okay? He wasn't there during the miracles of Jesus. In fact, there is no indication that the Apostle Paul saw the resurrected Jesus in the weeks or the month or so after his resurrection. He wasn't there. In fact, the Apostle Paul learned about the resurrection the same way we do, secondhand, from the witness testimonies of other people. The book of Romans is written about 25 years after the resurrection of Jesus. So when Paul is writing this, he's writing from that perspective after the fact of a person, by a person who had heard about the resurrection the same way you and I hear about the resurrection from the testimony of other people. And this is what he says, Romans chapter 1, the first four verses. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. 
God promised this good news long ago by the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. First, you have to think about the direct teaching that Paul is giving here. Paul is teaching us that uh, Jesus was authenticated as the Son of God by his resurrection in the power of the Holy Spirit. He is declaring that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Now, the words and the miracles of Jesus through the Gospels convinced scores of people to believe in Jesus. But what Paul is saying here, he's amping it up, saying this, it's the resurrection of Jesus. It's the resurrection that declares that he is, in fact, who he said he was, that he is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, Jesus wasn't raised from the dead like other resurrections, like uh, Lazarus, for instance, in the Bible. Jesus experienced a new kind of resurrection. He experienced a new kind of life, something that was unknown up until this point in time. Now, the gospel invites us to new life in Christ. We are invited to resurrection life. We are invited to a life with Jesus that never ends. When they were baptized here today, what's the last thing that they typically say? You're raised to walk in newness of life. You're raised to walk in resurrection life. You're raised to walk in step with Jesus. Let me say it this way. Christians have a brand new identity. Christians are are children of God, no longer walking on their own, but walking with him. Christians are raised with Jesus to walk in newness of life. It's a new identity that we have when we walk with him. You might remember, if you're a reader of the Bible, the resurrection of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. He was uh, the brother of Mary and Martha, and he had died, and they called for Jesus, and he shows up four days later. And Jesus, uh, when Jesus gets there, Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days, and, and he wants to roll the stone away. Are there any hunters in here? Have you ever come across a deer that's been laying and decomposing for four days? Yeah, that's not the kind of thing somebody's shaking their head. (laughs) That is not the kind of thing you want to get a whiff of, right? Okay, because the smell is awful, the decomposing flesh. I can't easily picture this, though. You know, Jesus speaks. They move the stone. Lazarus walks out still wrapped in burial cloth. He was clearly dead and prepared for burial, and yet Jesus made him alive again. But think about this. Jesus raised Lazarus to human life, okay? After the second inning of his life, he died again, okay? It's astounding that he was raised from the dead. It's a miracle that would cause even the worst skeptic to wonder about who this Jesus is, right? If you saw that kind of activity, And yet, this resurrection of Jesus is very different than the resurrection of Lazarus. They're not alike at all. Jesus was raised to a permanent, glorified body. 
He experiences or experienced a, a new kind of life that was never experienced before. Shortly after his resurrection, many people saw Jesus and they interacted with Jesus. Many credible witnesses were there when Jesus ascended physically, bodily back into heaven to be at the right hand of God the Father. What Jesus is offering is eternal life to people who believe. That's the offer. A new life that never ends. He's offering resurrection life to those who believe. Now, my body is getting older. I've noticed this. Eventually, I'm going to pass from this life. Just recently, uh, I was at a doctor's office, right? And you know how doctor's offices are. Um, He was giving me some advice for uh, physical things going on in my body, okay? And he made this question, or he made this statement. He said, you know, as you're approaching middle life, middle age, things change. And I'm thinking, middle age. I said, I'm thinking, this guy has great bedside manner, okay, but his math is terrible, okay? <laughs> I, I am way, way past the midpoint of my life, right? The Bible is very clear that people who walk with Jesus, people who are Christians, people who are children of God, they will spend eternity with God. This is part of what it means to be associated with the resurrected Jesus. And I tell you what, you want to be on the right side of faith when the final resurrection happens, according to the scriptures. The second part of what Paul teaches us here in Romans has to do with fulfilled prophecy. Now it says this in verse 2, God promised this good news long ago through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. Now, as I was studying this, I I got this idea on the computer, and I went to Google, okay? And I typed in this. I typed in uh, Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. That's it. Enter. And what popped on my screen is all these verses from the Old Testament, prophecies that were made hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus that came true in the life and the death of Jesus, Okay, it's all right there to read. Isaiah, Jeremiah, David, Micah, and others, they made these prophecies hundreds of years prior to Jesus that came true in the life of Jesus. And they're, and they're written in this intimate detail. All these events. It's a strong argument in the mind of Paul for the resurrection of Jesus. Now, perhaps... Paul mentions these ancient prophecies because they they held weight for him intellectually. But I wonder this. You know, Paul was a Pharisee, right? He was a a teacher of religious things. He was a high-powered religious guy. He would have read the Old Testament. And I'm just wondering if Paul wonders how he would have missed it all. You know, he's read the Old Testament. He's read the prophecies. How would he would have missed that Jesus was who Jesus said he was in the resurrection of Jesus. He might have asked himself, how could I be so blind? How could I be so drunk on my religion that I missed Jesus? I missed it all. I was on the sidelines. There's absolutely nothing new in the things that I've said so far. The miracles of Jesus, the statements he made, the prophecies about Jesus, the proclamation of firsthand witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus, People who interacted with the resurrected Jesus. All of these things are well attested in the Bible. 
But since Jesus did rise from the dead, I didn't say if, but since, everything that the Bible says about Jesus can be relied on because it's reliable. You know, you can read three different chapters in the Bible, just three chapters, and learn a tremendous amount about the true identity of Jesus Christ. These are the chapters. Uh, John chapter 1, the Gospel of John. Colossians chapter 1, a letter that Paul wrote to that church. And Hebrews chapter 1. In 15 minutes, you can read three chapters. John, Colossians, and Hebrews. And learn a tremendous amount about the true identity of Jesus. Who he is and what he came to do. For example, these are the things you'd read. That Jesus existed with God from the beginning. Jesus is eternal. When Jesus came into this world, he was entering the world he had created. God in the flesh. Human flesh, you know, divinity draped in human flesh. That's the picture that we have of Jesus. That he is the savior. That he came here as a sacrifice for sin that we could have relationship with God. God has communicated uh, to us in many, many ways through the Old Testament scriptures. That's clear. But the most exquisite, clear communication in the entire Bible is looking at the life of Jesus. He's the ultimate communicator of God. It says this, Jesus actually radiates the very glory and the very character of God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what he's talking about. The Bible says it this way, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. God is a spirit. We can't see his spirit. But Jesus makes God known to us as we read the pages of the scriptures. Jesus is the Savior. He's the one who sat down at the right hand of God after providing a way of salvation for those who believe. And all of the fullness of God, all of the fullness of God, was pleased to live in Christ. That's the identity of Jesus Christ. God draped in human flesh, coming here to bring salvation to those who believe. That's what the scriptures teach. Let's talk a little bit about the implications of the identity of Jesus. Now, if we unpack what Paul said in that first little section there in Romans, uh, Paul describes himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. You could use the word bondservant, somebody who has willingly given up his own rights uh, for another person in deference to Jesus. This was a, a new identity for Paul, okay, to be a slave, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Paul gave his entire life to the gospel, to helping others find the way of hope and faith. But before Paul was Paul the apostle, Paul was he was Saul of Tarsus. He had his name changed, right? Before he was this very vocal and engaged follower of Jesus, he was a person who had dedicated his life to trying to destroy Christianity. That's who he was. He was a Pharisee. He was an expert at religion. And he was an angry guy. You might remember Acts chapter 8. Saul of Tarsus was there he was holding the coats of the men who were stoning Stephen to death because Stephen was teaching about the resurrection. That's the kind of guy Saul of Tarsus was. 
Somehow in God's sovereign plan, this persecution that, that landed on Jerusalem pushed the Christians out. And as they fled, they took the gospel with them. And that's how the gospel spread all over the world. It was ordinary people who had come to faith in Jesus who took the gospel with, him, uh, with them when they left Jerusalem after the persecution started. Paul is right in the middle of that persecution. This is what it says in Acts chapter 9, um, that he was uttering threats with every breath and he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. He was traveling up the Damascus road with indictments against the followers of Jesus. He wanted to bring them back in chains for trial. That's who Saul of Tarsus was. And I asked you this question. What does it take for a guy like Saul of Tarsus to actually come to Christ and believe? What does it take for a guy like that to be changed? Imagine, he was so steeped in religion, so against everything that was Jesus. How did Saul of Tarsus gain a new identity? How did he become Paul the Apostle? Well, on this mission to destroy Christians, uh, there was a bright light. And Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, revealed himself to Saul. This is what it says. Saul Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus. I am the one you are persecuting. Saul heard the voice of Jesus. And in that moment, Paul figured out who Jesus was. He came face to face with the reality, the identity of Jesus. This destroyer of Christians has become now a teacher about Jesus. He had a new identity. He's a child of God now. When Paul believes, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is just a little bit of an aside, okay? Filling of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit in a Christian's life is the one evidence that a person's a genuine believer, okay? If a person does not have the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life, they are not a follower of Jesus. They probably have uh, put their arms around some kind of a substitute, and they've missed the real thing. You have to know that. When Paul became a genuine believer, he was identified by the Holy Spirit in his life. The first thing he did was to be baptized in water, okay? An identification with Christ. He was raised to walk in newness of life, just like people who were baptized here this morning. And immediately, Paul begins to preach that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what he does. He understood the true identity of Jesus, and he was not Saul of Tarsus anymore. It's impossible, I think, to unsee a genuine encounter with God. Paul had a new identity. He spent the rest of his life on three missionary journeys sharing the gospel with people who were far away from God. He trained leaders, he established churches, and he wrote letters back to these churches, like this letter to Rome that we read just a minute ago. I want to bring this whole thing down to Lighthouse for just a minute by asking a couple questions and making a few statements. The first is this, the Bible is living and active. It is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and it can bring radical change to your life, just like it did Paul. Second, the vast majority of people 
who have ever believed in Jesus have done so because they've heard about Jesus from another Christian. That's how the gospel spreads. That's how it spread in the book of Acts and how it spreads today. If you're waiting to see a miracle or you're waiting for some special experience to convince you of faith, I would remind you this. Lots of people who actually saw Jesus do miracles did not believe. Seeing a miracle is not enough. Genuine faith takes more. In his grace, God has given us the Holy Scriptures where the the person of Jesus and the way of salvation is made very, very clear. In the past, I've talked a little bit about my personal story of faith, coming to faith as a a younger person, and then uh, way later, having a a much clearer understanding of who God is. In, In my case, it took kind of a period of personal crisis. You know, at age 50 in 2010, I remember reading a copy of the New Living Translation of the Bible from cover to cover, okay, with one question in mind. Can a person really know God? Is Jesus real? That was the question in my mind. I remember um, not being interested in the opinions of other people or other teachers or other stuff. I wanted to know God, and I went directly to the source, to the Word of God, where God has revealed himself. As I read the Bible, the Bible became alive to me. Okay, God was revealing himself through the pages of the scriptures, right? Just as he says he will. I began to see myself differently. I began uh, to sense the influence of the Holy Spirit as I'm reading the Bible and I'm hearing God's voice right from the words I'm reading, right? I didn't know it at the time, but my heart was changing, right? I was experiencing Jesus in a firsthand way, right from the powerful revelation of the scriptures itself. I was, I was leaning into the influence of the Holy Spirit without even realizing that that's what I was doing. I think lots of people in this room, okay, you're here because you long to really know God, okay? You really want to know him. That's why you're here. You want to see transformation in your life. You want to know uh, what this new identity is really about. You want, you want God's influence. You want to experience that in your life. And I would say this, there is a great hope for people who long to know God. All of the evidence that you need to know to meet the real Jesus and have him change your life is found in the Bible. It's found in the pages of Scripture. I would tell you this is a dangerous book, though, if you don't want to change. Because the Holy, the Holy Spirit empowers the Scripture. The vast majority of people who believe okay, what the Bible reports, people believe because uh, they interacted with other Christians. People who, who knew Jesus and could tell their story to other people. Very, very few people ever saw the physical Jesus. Galilee was a small place. Almost everybody comes to faith because of hearing the testimony of other people who know him. There are many, many people who are part of the Lighthouse family that I know who walk with Christ. This is kind of an anti-religion kind of thing, right? We're not trying to chase some religion. We're not talking about accountability, and we're not talking about obligation, 
What we're talking about is hearing the voice of God from the pages of Scripture and leaning into the voice of the Holy Spirit as He guides us. That's what we're talking about. It's something that's very important for all of us. And so I have some advice for people in this room who are not yet believers, and you know who you are, okay? People that are not believers, but also for people that maybe have believed, but today have a lot of doubt in their mind, and you know who you are. And for others, maybe who are substantially certain about their faith and their growing and their relationship with Christ. Um, that's everyone in the room, okay? This is the same advice. The first piece of advice would this be this. Keep seeking to know God in the Bible. Okay, this is God's word. He has revealed himself to us. I would start, if you haven't started before, by reading a gospel, asking one question. Who is Jesus? What is the true identity of this guy? And see what you learn as you read that gospel. The second thing I would do is I would continue to pray. I would pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, please open my eyes, open my mind, my heart. Let me know what's true. The Holy Spirit is defined in the scriptures as the spirit of truth. The one who brings truth to light in our minds. The third thing I would do would be to engage with other growing Christians. You know, you can talk to a skeptic all day long, and they're not going to give you any good information about knowing God. It's just not going to work, right? But instead, if you engage with other growing disciples, people that are on the same path, trying to understand who Jesus is and to walk with him, you're going to figure it out. Spend time with people who are being changed by the power of the Holy Spirit as they study the Word of God. That's one of the reasons we do Lighthouse Groups, so people could do that in community. And the last thing I'd say is this. Keep clear biblical teaching right in front of you all the time. There are lots of good churches out there, churches that are helping people connect the dots between the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and how do you, how do you really know God and how do you really walk with Him. There are lots of churches that do that. Lighthouse exists to help people in their spiritual journey. That's what we do here. Jesus is authenticated as Lord and Savior by his resurrection to a new kind of life. Jesus offers this new life in him. He offers entrance into the family of God, and he offers us a new identity as children of God. The only valid response to seeing the resurrected Jesus is to believe and to follow him with all of your heart. We're going to go now into a time of prayer. This is a time of reflection. We're going to have prayer partners here like we always do. They'll be uh, up here in the front. They'll be in the back. They'll have, I think, the lanyards on that identify them as a prayer partner. And this is a time for you to pray with somebody else. Uh, this is nothing to be embarrassed about. We have people slip out all the time and, and go and pray with a prayer partner. You can pray. You can talk to God about anything that's on your mind. You can talk to, him, to them about how it is that a person says yes to Jesus or, or any other need that you have in your life that you just want to pray with somebody about. I find myself praying on most Sunday mornings with a prayer partner. The band is going to play uh, one more song. And this is your time to pray. But let me first pray for you. God, we come 
before you with grateful hearts that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you've revealed yourself to us, that the, the scriptures are alive and active. They change our lives. And, and you've revealed truth about who you are. You're not far away, but you're close by. And I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would be working in the hearts of people here in this room and people online and, and people that will watch this later, that you'll draw folks to, to seeking you in authenticity. I pray this through Jesus. Amen. Now this is your time to pray. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.